Podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, are we going to talk about Illinois for two weeks in a row? Because I kind of want to. You know, we we sent out a little test agenda last night and this morning. It was it was everything that the masses are clamoring for. Illinois, Hawaii, Wyoming. You know, the really important stories of college football right now. Well, let me. All right. I was thinking about this when we were going through pre-show notes of a t- like a top 25 team from last year. Who in the last week has made any kind of news worth talking about? I don't want to get into the habit. This isn't directed at you, sir, but this is more to the viewer or the listener. I don't want to get in the habit of just talking about big programs just to talk about them. If you want to do that, if you want to listen to that, there's about 15 other podcasts out there right now. Not that um, we're going to force everyone to always plumb the depths of the Mountain West, but, you know, it's... This is what we told them was going to happen in the offseason, so they were warned. If they've, if they've hit play here, they, they know that... They're not going to get the relevant topics. I'm actually looking at last year's rankings right now to see if I had anything uh, about the top 25 programs. I'm looking around. So David Shaw talked about hating seven on seven. Yeah. Uh, and I guess at the Combine, um, who was it? Kim Dietschy said Laramie Tunsil was in the room when he subsequently right. jumped out of a window. Yeah. We, we will talk about that soon because I am working on something about Laramie Tunsil for the NFL draft, but that'll be a ways off. And I don't know how much dra- how I don't know how drafty we want to get in here, but and probably to a minimum. And I'm sure Northwestern, technically Northwestern was ranked. I'm sure those fans um, have had things to say about Illinois sealing the borders of Chicago or whatever. But no, 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 I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy talking about, among other things, I've prepped very lengthy pieces about Hawaii and Wyoming, so I have no problem talking about them. All right, let's jump right in there. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll table Illinois to, to the back end because it, I don't even know if I have anything to add. By the way, thanks to Matt Brown again for joining us last week, mainly because um, you and I were a little under the weather because of the old uh, the old bottle sickness. Um, <laughs> and we had it. By the way, just to throw it back on the listenership, we had more responses about the length of that podcast, and we set up front that I had to get on a plane. We we were not in a city. We were not. We we're not at home. We were in. We were in Washington D.C. I said, "Hey, I got to catch a plane." Bills off to Boston for the Sloan Conference. We'll talk about that too. Um, man, some of y'all got the butt hurt over what was it? Forty six minutes. I know it's our shortest podcast ever, but damn. <laughs> I mean, we set the bar. You know, it, it all depends on where you set the bar here. Uh, we ramble. Um, like today, I we like had to, to cut it off that. at like an hour fifteen because we've got another call we have to be on. Uh, but, yeah, today you know, we're actually it's going to be a little a little bit trim, not as not as bad as forty. We'll go more than forty six minutes, I swear. Please don't break up with us. I know that feeling though. I have I have dog walking and and honeydew obligations that are built around podcasts. And um, if I get gypped or if they're late, which we've been late a couple times, we try and stay on a pretty strong schedule. Um, I get pissed off too. So okay, uh, Hawaii, Wyoming. Uh, uh, before we get into the actual smart statistical things, uh, I obviously have an inordinate love and huge bias towards the University of Wyoming. Um, one of the sneakiest things I was ever able to manage at SB Nation was convincing them to pay me to go to Wyoming for a weekend for a football game. It was Fresno in 2013. It was actually the last time Fresno was good. I love it. Um, there's kind of a long story why, and it's not really worth even sharing at the podcast. Um, because the state of Wyoming is dire, bare, <laughs> Spartan, Cormac McCarthy novel. Um, if you had to be a head coach at one of these two programs, 
Hawaii or Wyoming for the next five years, which one would you choose? Man. Um, and don't just say why. Just be like, oh, Hawaii is weather. No, I'm talking about pure football. Uh, how, Hawaii has been good more recently. Um, he's got a, they won the New Mexico Bowl in 20... Yeah, they weren't 11. good. They weren't good. Um, I mean, no, you know, congratulations. Hey, man, they won seven games. Okay. I went, to, I went to college when David Cutcliffe coached Ole Miss. That's good. So um, even including that, the, that bowl win, uh, in, in the last uh, eight years, their S&P Plus rankings, and, and, you know, there's something to be said for consistency. 97, 94, 199, 100, 108, 107, 114. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, man, I don't know. I mean, because neither of them are close to recruits. Um, I mean, at least Hawaii does have the weather. Like, if you get recruits to your campus, they're not going to, like, leave at the end of, at the beginning of the first winter. Um, so there is that. I don't think there is such a thing as the first winter in Wyoming. I think it's just one continual winter. Um, I one of the reasons I do like Wyoming is it it, it against it, it exists at the D one level against all logic in terms of where you recruit athletes from and how you keep athletes enticed and interested and committed. Um, the state produces pretty much zero Division one football talent. The year that I wrote the piece in twenty thirteen. Um, the only thing in any recruiting database that was registered was a two-star offensive tackle that uh, committed to Florida and I think ended up going to a, a junior college anyway. Um, they have to go into places like California and some of the Western junior colleges to build out a team and then have that team play in a part of the country that I personally love, but I don't know how many 19-year-olds love. Um, it was funny when um, I, I pulled up your piece because I, I let off the Wyoming preview that should go up around the time this podcast goes up. Um, I, I let off that piece by I was going to pull a quote from your piece. But like in my head, I realized in my head I was reading it with like a, a deep, visible, uh, grizzled voice. Like often the Chinook provides shelter by necessity and not by choice. <laughs> Okay, because it's going up, I actually haven't seen a preview of the, of the Wyoming piece. You, you kind of know. <laughs> let's go. All right, well, then let's go along those lines real fast. In fact, if you want to tie it into Hawaii and we just turn this into in, into a comparison of extremes, is it – Craig Bull was a really good hire. Hawaii has been, has been beset by financial issues. Wyoming is certainly not rich by any standard, but they've been steady. Yeah, they've been having a really fight for a recruiting budget. I, I guess yes. they've been I, – I was reading some pieces about that this morning. It does sound because, like um, – Because it's really hard to get to Laramie. All joking aside, it's hard to get to Laramie. It's hard to leave Laramie and, and fan out, you know, right. go to Texas, go to California, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, it is it's tricky, but from a money standpoint, they've got more of it. And that's why, you know, I was thinking, thinking of all the jobs that I've already I've already said hard jobs remain hard at least four times in this preview series this year. Once yeah. was ULM, sure. once, was, once was Rice, uh, because, you know, there are a lot of different ways to be difficult. Um, one, and then the last two days, Hawaii yesterday and Wyoming today, um, <clears throat> they're all hard in their own way, but at the bottom, but at, but at the the base of most of it is it's hard to draw talent to your school for, for one reason or another. And you need uh, an absolutely, you need to, as I put it, you know, if, if Alabama makes a good hire, Alabama's great. 
if um, if Hawaii or Wyoming makes a great hire, Hawaii or Wyoming are good. Uh, and good by like Mountain West standards, not good by Alabama standards. So <clears throat> it's just, it's hard. And they've both, both schools have made a lot of good hires. And I mean, for a long time, that Wyoming job was like a stepping stone. Like, you know, if you prove yourself, um, you know, it's a good test to make sure that you can actually do this thing. Like, you know, uh, Bob Devaney you know, had a few good seasons there, went to Nebraska and completely resurrected Nebraska. Fred Akers uh, left Texas for two years and took that job, went, got, went to eight and four, and then did pretty well at Texas for a while. Pat Dye was there for a year. Dennis Erickson was there for a year. Um, Joe Tiller, of course, kind of perfected his offense and then took it to Purdue. So, um, what bothers me about this thing, because I do genuinely cheer for Wyoming, is that they made a hire in Craig Bull, and and you can tell me which part of this is right or wrong. But um, our NFL editor at SB Nation, Ryan Vebiver, he is from, uh, or not from Wyoming, but he went to the University of Wyoming. I'm sorry. So he and I talk about this. If you and this, you can apply this to to other schools that have these kind of like either remote recruiting issues or low budget or both, which is kind of, again, why we talk about like Hawaii. If you, if you don't have any of the natural advantages going after a guy like bowl who builds up a juggernaut at North Dakota state makes really good sense. And this kind of ties into this. I think I'm going to go on a rant about Levy Smith. I'm not sure we've been, I I don't know. We'll, We'll get to that. But like, this is a good hire on paper every single time you make it. And yet it hasn't been. Or or it's just that much slower of a of a project. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hadn't obviously had a, much of an opportunity to pay attention to Wyoming last year. That's why I really like this preview process. It forces me to kind of walk through the season, see what happens, and, you know, test the preconceptions, so to speak. Like... At the beginning of the year, the eight players on the two deep in Wyoming's secondary were six freshmen, a sophomore, and a senior. Um, they played, they started four freshmen multiple times. So they were doomed from the start. Like that, you know, that, that experience piece I put out a while ago, it says basically you need, like the, the areas where experience will cost you the most are quarterback, receiver, and defensive back. So they had, they had no chance. They had no, they had one guy in the front seven who could disrupt anything. Um, and then on top of that, you know, they got Cameron Kaufman, the transfer from Indiana. He was hurt half the year. They had two good running backs. One of them missed most of the year. Um, they had a breakout receiver averaging like 18 yards per catch for half the season. He got hurt. So it was kind of a perfect, it was a perfect mix of youth and injury uh, and, and specific injury. Like these, these are the guys we can't lose and all of them get hurt. So, um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I do think. It wasn't as like the the situation isn't as dire as Wyoming was last year because they they were kind of artificially low in that regard, and just the fact that you know we know Craig Bull can coach defense and they were 115th in my defensive ratings last year. You, you know, I mean that gives you some sense of the personnel uh, situation. It's just there, there's never any guarantee that that personnel situation will improve like there, there's almost there's very little doubt in my mind that you know despite the fact that he just moved up to fbs recruiting isn't any easier at wyoming and it's probably harder considering the competition uh than he was encountering in north dakota state and that's kind of a crazy thing to think that is kind of strange because the all the sunbelt programs we love to talk about swear about stepping up actually makes it better you get to fight off other pro other bad d1 programs um if you're if you already have a a tradition of winning, which is what North Dakota State has and Wyoming mm-hmm. does not, um, 
Okay, so the the tagline on your Hawaii piece, if you if you cared nothing about Hawaii and you, and and or you probably don't care about Wyoming either, you'll still look at this headline and kind of grit your teeth as a college football fan. Hawaii football travels to Australia, Michigan, and Arizona within 2016's first 22 days. Yeah, this is the reality. <laughs> um, I am working on a piece about the Pac-12. Um, I've got a piece going up later this week about uh, Arizona kind of killing their spring game and more fun kind of Rich Rod stuff. But there, within the Pac-12 is conversation about this game with Cal and Hawaii and Australia. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know, Cal and Hawaii are playing each other playing each other in Australia this year. Um, it's a it's actually a week before opening week. Um, it's. Um, I don't want to start laying down the hot takes on it because I'm in the process of reporting on it, but it's it's something that elicits a lot of um, powerful responses, almost all to one side of the debate, which is why are you doing this? <laughs> if you're Hawaii, I think there's a far flung, far far flung, as far flung as your travel schedule. Hope that one day, if the Pac-12 expands into some sort of pan-Asian global, you know power thing that Larry Scott wants it to be that Hawaii would somehow be included in that. Um, there are pipe dreams and then there are pipe dreams. That's why, why I think, excuse me, that's why Hawaii agreed to this. I, I, I have suspicions as to why California agreed to it. Um, none of that helps an already beleaguered Hawaii program having to go to Michigan and Arizona and everywhere else. Um, this makes me feel, Bill, like I would take the Wyoming job. I mean, I like seeing the world. Um, yeah, but you I mean, you're seeing a lot of the world vis-a-vis, like, airport Marriott's. And, the, and the, the one positive spin I can put on the Australia trip, too, is that it's barely further than flying from Hawaii to Michigan. So you've got that going for you, I guess. But, see the world is a tricky thing. I had a job where I used to see the world all the time, and I would go to Europe three times a year, and I would see airport airport tour bus or air, airport rented rental car hotel and then back again. So, you know, I don't know if I necessarily want to see the world as like a assistant coach for the university of Hawaii, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is absolutely cruel to, um, to play in Sydney. And then a week later, like, you know, there's not even a buy there. You're going straight to Ann Arbor. And, and by the way, um, you know, not that this matters, but uh, I looked up Hawaii's schedule. I believe um, the Monday before the California game is when when school starts. So maybe there's a story idea here for SB Nation because Bill, I do the embed once a year with teams, and all we ever talk about is is all these coaches ever talk about is their just religious adherence to routine, and and I don't know how you build any kind of routine with the schedule ever. Mm-mm. I mean, I guess starting off with that schedule with those two games is nice because then after that it's home games and your normal long freaking road trips, you know, plane trips, uh, Arizona, San Jose, Air Force, San Diego, Fresno. Um, <clears throat> so I guess maybe after Michigan you start to establish a routine. But my goodness, I mean, that's that's an absolutely ridiculous way. So uh, they play Cal in Michigan. Then in week two, you know, because they've already played two games by week one, um, they host Tennessee Martin, and then they go to Arizona. Then they finally get a bye week. So really, I mean, if you're the head coach, yeah, you're just trying to survive for four games and then establish whatever rhythm that you can possibly establish as a as a Hawaii football team. 
I mean, you know yes. they can. You know they can win there. We we've seen it in the last decade. Uh, you know they played <clears throat> what like oh six, oh seven, and what twenty like oh nine or twenty ten at a at a four, uh, very high for the Mountain West level. You create an identity, et cetera. That's great. Um, but God, yeah, it's just it's it's hard. All right, let me ask you something, uh, and I want you to answer from the from the pure analytics side of this, okay. and, and I'll try and figure out the money. So let's say I'm, I'm tasked with I'm the new Hawaii athletic director, even though I don't like to wear shorts. It'll be tough, but I'll manage. Um, their 2016 schedule, it, we just talked about this this slog at the beginning of the month, the weird game in Australia at Michigan, home at UT Martin, and then at Arizona. Okay, So you actually, in your preview, you list their biggest game kind of being Nevada on October 1st after a bye. And I think just because it's like sort of the tone setter for the rest of the year. Right, you've got nine games left at that point. You're probably yeah. one and three. Um, you know, the, then there are wins, sort of wins to be found after that. Right. So, so here's my theory on this. If you move forward, you like the mountain West is not going to do you a ton of favors on travel. I mean, you're at air force. So you're going from Hawaii to Colorado. You're at Fresno, not close, close ish, I guess. But then you see sort of these weird aberrations. Like they've got a deal signed with UMass. Yeah. That's UMass is desperate. That, that's not good. Um, but that's not good for you either. All right, let's let's be Hawaii for a second. I'm athletic director. You can't control your conference schedule, but by and large, the furthest I think you have to go in conference play is like Wyoming slash Boise slash Colorado, New Mexico, Colorado State, and and Air Force. Yeah. New Mexico is a, you know technically a little closer, so you can't do anything about that. But here's what you can do in non-conference. I like at Arizona. I like where you're th- like I like what you're thinking there. I don't know off the top of my head what these deals are, what these contracts entail. I know Hawaii needs money. Maybe don't do the Michigan. Maybe approach everything in the Southern California corridor, extend it out just a little bit as aggressively as possible, and take deal. Take a 3-1 revolving deal with one of the, the L.A. powers. So what I'm saying is go to UCLA or USC three years in a row and then get them once. USC has gone to Hawaii multiple times in the yeah. past, so it's not far flung. So you got one there. I mean, San Diego State's in your conference. Um, maybe I, I don't know how how much could you pay like Cal Poly to come in. I'm serious, by the way. Like like pay Cal Poly to come in as your homecoming opponent. Um, although I guess it doesn't matter to you if it's UT Martin or if it's Cal Poly. Um, right. Yeah. I think you have to strike a deal. With like a with the southern half of the Pac-12 minus Utah, and and almost live at their behest, which again goes back to why they agreed to play this game against Cal. It's not so much because it's convenient for them; it's just like the larger politicking issue here. So if I'm an AD, I'm going to try and get USC and UCLA on the schedule. I'm going to try and find a way to develop a one and one, I guess with. I mean, that's the problem is that any school that you would try and build out on your non-conference schedule is either already a Mountain West. See, I mean, it's not you used to have the Mountain West and the WAC. You don't have that. You're really at the behest of the Pac-12. Then, so I guess you don't schedule three Pac-12 teams. <laughs> My question to you on the S&P side of this is, I mean, would that just kill them to try and lessen the travel burden? To well, I mean, to be more <clears throat> flung in order to win games. Well, I mean, from an S&P standpoint, it doesn't matter. You know, you just. You are what you are, and, and technically, maybe you'll perform better if you're traveling less. Um, That's what I was trying to get at. Like, yeah. you, you schedule harder local game, or you know, 
air quote local games or do you try and you know seek out a win like you're gonna beat umass maybe but you're also gonna have to go to umass i think next season yeah that's insane um so all right let's step back for a second here i just pulled up hawaii's you know recent results and and i'm gonna start with 05 and see if we if we can figure out any shift or if this is just the way things happen so okay 05, their non-conference was US, USC at home. That was the they got their, that trip. USC at home at Michigan State, Wisconsin at home, San Diego State at home. Um, okay. Okay. So I mean, certainly not bad. And, and this does bring to memory all the you know for the eighties and nineties. It seemed like especially this was where the major conference team went in like the the first or second weekend of of December. Um, especially if they probably weren't likely to reach a bowl game. That was kind of their bowl trip. Um, I know Missouri did that at least once. Um, so, but, okay, so that was 05. 06 was at Alabama, which in 06, I against that, that Alabama game. team, they, um, uh, you know, a 6 and 7 Alabama team, they almost won. Yeah, um, I remember that game. And they were actually good that year. So, okay. That was so, Twilight of the Shula. Yeah. Uh, 06, so at Alabama, UNLV, Eastern Illinois, Purdue, Oregon State, they get the extra game. So you know, <clears throat> every so often, uh, for because of travel costs and whatnot. Oh seven, Northern Colorado, <clears throat> UNLV, Charleston Southern, Washington, all at home. Oh no, um, at, at UNLV. Okay, uh, and so, so that was that was kind of perfect too because that was the O six team was better. Um, but they had to play at Alabama and at Boise State. The 07 team wasn't as good, but they had two 1AA teams on there, and they made the Sugar Bowl. So, you know, yeah, they got, they got pantsed in the Sugar Bowl. But <clears throat> All right, so that was kind of a shift there, uh, a little bit easier, uh, and the, the one road trip was at UNLV. 08, at Florida, uh, Weber State, at Oregon State, Washington State at home, Cincinnati at home. Um, still a lot of home games. So maybe, you know, maybe it's getting harder to schedule home games. I don't know. Uh, 09, Central Arkansas, uh, at Washington State, at UNLV, uh, Navy at home. Which, I mean, that, that game makes sense for Navy since, you know, because of where uh, Mr. Neum is from. Navy. Yeah. 2010, uh, USC at home again, at Army, at Colorado, Charleston Southern, UNLV at home. So now they can't do the UNLV home and home every year because they're conference mates. Uh, 2011, Colorado at Washington, at UNLV again, UC Davis, Tulane at home, and, yep. BYU, yeah. B- and BYU at home, actually. Okay. 2012, at USC. By the way, BYU, also similar home game. Yeah. Uh, 2012, US, at USC, Lamar at home, at BYU, uh, South Alabama at home. 2013, USC at home again. Man, they didn't even have to do the three-for-one with USC. Uh, USC at home at Oregon State, at Navy, Army at home. So nice little Armed Forces vibe there. Uh, 2014, Washington at home, Oregon State at home, Northern Iowa at home, at Colorado, at Rice. Uh, So, again, no humongous road trips. 2015, Colorado at Ohio State, UC Davis at Wisconsin. So last year they had two kind of stupid road trips there. And, and then UL, ULM. Us, yeah. Um, so then so looking forward. Here's where it gets worse. Okay. 2017. Yeah, that's what I was about to look at. Okay. At UMass. 2018. And by the way, they have a lot of the, and by the way, it looks like the current 
administration would do what any of us would, which is just try and minimize this. Like, uh, this was your phone this time. Yeah, it was mine. Um, uh, hang on, I'm going to cuss this person out. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Fucking. It's, it's, it's always an automated call. Yep. I, uh, I swear to God. Um, I might or might not edit this out, but go ahead. No, I swore a lot. Um, 2017 at UMass. 2018 at Army. At Army. Why are you playing that game? So you get a return from Army on in 2019. And 2019 is the schedule that you and I probably would would best. That's that's the the shape you should be in. The only right. problem is Army's one of the home games, which means that you went all the way to West Point to get that home game. Look at 2022, by the way. At Wisconsin and at Army, what are you doing? And granted, well, then in 20... You know, I mean, this is the structure of, uh, of me as a reporter needing to, to dig more in. I, I, that's why I don't want to be so incredulous about this. It, it, this may just be the financial reality of being Hawaii. The idea is if you join the Pac-12, which is, again, the pipe dream, you, your revenue goes up to a certain point where you can just sustain these problems. You don't have to go out and do the at-Wisconsin type deal. Especially with, well, if you're in the Pac-12, you'd have nine home games or nine conference games, so you'd only have to fill out. You could do your UC Davis Cal Poly for one home game, and then just set up a, you know, actually, if you if you're Hawaii and you get bumped to the Pac-12, hypothetically, then you sign the forever deal with San Diego State, right? And then yeah, that done. seems like part of the problem here. The San, they can't do home and homes with San Diego State and UNLV anymore. It seems like that was pretty common for a while, yeah. uh, but now they're conference mates. Yeah, because the wax schools. I mean, all right. What maybe maybe they keep Idaho afloat, New Mexico State, or something? <laughs> Possibly. It's not the most far flung idea. I mean, if you think of a team that that could that could drop out, I still think that 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 Hawaii runs a certain risk. Um, just the Mountain West can absorb a lot of their travel, and it makes sense for some of their schools. I I guarantee you that not every Mountain West school is completely in love with the fact that Hawaii is in the conference because you're sending. You know, it's not, it's not, it's never the football trip when we talk about this. It's always right. the first thing everyone talks about is like, well, we got to send the softball team and we got to send this and we, you know, we got to have a, our track team has to somehow get there and <laughs> it just becomes a nightmare. I'd actually like to just do a piece on Hawaii's travel director, like the yeah. job. I mean, it's just got to be brutal. And at some point, you know, because we're all about the pipe dreams, we should, we should uh, try to outline here's how, here's what would have to happen for Hawaii to join the Pac-16 one day. Um, I think the way it happens is if there's a university in Tokyo that joins. <laughs> I'm not joking. Oh yeah, no. I I just remember a long time ago uh, when the Big Ten was originally expanded. I was joking that they should try to add the University of Toronto, um, and this one feels suddenly because we, we have taken all expectations off the board for Larry Scott, this one suddenly feels kind of like more realistic than even going to Toronto. I just started watching Man in the High Castle too, so all this makes probably more sense than it should. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get out of Hawaii and Wyoming. Uh, we do you want to do you want to change your answer now? Finally, you said you'd stick with Hawaii. I said I'd stick with with Wyoming. Um, as a coach, I still might 
slightly lean towards Hawaii as an athletic director or any sort of administrator. I do think Wyoming might be the way to go. See, um, as a coach, I, I'm thinking I can scrape Texas. I can scrape Texas, and I like the Craig Bowl system being applied. So maybe you hit up all the JUCOs in the Plain States. You go to Coffeyville, you know, in Kansas. You go to Butler, um, and then you hit Northern California, which is what they've done for years. Um, my only retort there would be that none of the California mid majors beyond San Diego State are doing incredibly well right now. Right. Um, and so if you're at Hawaii, you might be trying to pick off some of those, um, especially Southern California kids, especially if they're going to be playing against, uh, you know, home and homes against San Diego State basically every year now that they're in the conference. So what is your Fresno preview? Because that that's an actual, I think, legitimate conversation, not for not for football nerds in which that we park ourselves in these corners with Wyoming. But I think people are I think fans that have grown up with a salty to competitive Fresno are a little curious what the hell's going on. Uh, looks like Monday. So the rest of the schedule here, uh, tomorrow is or Wednesday's UNLV, Thursday, New Mexico, Friday. Uh, uh, okay, my schedule's off because I don't have one on Friday. So Fresno, I'll have to figure out what happened there. Fresno will either be Friday or Monday. Uh, not that I know of. Oh, I have two on Monday, so I just screwed up when I was scheduling stuff. So Fresno, I think, will be Monday or Friday. So next before week, the next podcast, next basically. Week we'll discuss Fresno, which which will have a little bit more of a relevant impact on those of you who cheer for teams that win football games. But just just only so much of a more relevant impact. They were they were like a a heavy Boise influence. They were I mean to me they're like like if Boise is Nirvana, then Southern Miss and Fresno State you know were like the Germs and the Pixies. Who are the Who are the meat puppets? Because I just pulled that straight out of my ass. Um, we have some questions. Do we want to do Illinois or questions first? Bill, go. Which one? Illinois. I don't have anything against Lovey Smith. We, we, we sort of reacted to this almost in real time on last week's show. We talked extensively about how it was interesting that lower tier Big Ten programs didn't even test, didn't even test their medal in the free agent market for coaches. They, they promoted from within. I met some of Cubit's staff at the AFCA. I thought the plan they had in place was as good as you could get considering the situation. And then I see just this strange left turn. I know as soon as Cubit was fired, they had a replacement in mind. Right. Um, and it was it, once it was well, once it was evident that he was fired and not for any sort of uh, uh, scandal, any kind of cause. I am okay with Lovey Smith if Lovey Smith brings in one or two ringers, and I'm, by ringers I mean guys who are who are sort of built for college football, who are built in college football, who have defined recruiting territories, um, and I don't see that on the staff at all. So we brought this up at work yesterday. Um, our college football editor, Jason Kirk, kind of played devil's advocate in that it is very interesting, and we do cheer for interesting things. Um, but, in fact, here's exactly what he said. He said, I'm torn because on paper it's everything we hate about coaching hires, but it makes one team more interesting and is thus good for our coverage. And that's very true. Um, yep. We do like to talk about interesting things. It, it is a highly interesting um, uh, hire. We are talking about Illinois for two weeks in a row. I think that pretty much says it. Um, I just don't know how this is anything other than a, 
a marketing move for, for the university. I, I mean, I, I think Lovey Smith is competent. And, and obviously, that's not enough. But um, I think because Illinois made this hire, we, we, we're, we're kind of automatically skeptical. Do you think uh, because Illinois makes any hire, we're, we're just... It, it, Right. Our, our innate assumption is, I mean, I think the only guy they could have hired that we would have immediately gone, oh, yes, would have been like P.J. Fleck. And that's partially because of recruiting and partially because we all enjoy P.J. Fleck. Um, when I, I think Illinois figured out, like a lot of schools, that, that P.J. Fleck is in a position in which P.J. Fleck doesn't have to. Yeah, by the way, I'm, I am P.J. Fleck in this scenario, and I'm referring to myself in the third person. He doesn't have to take those jobs. No. Fleck's going to sit and wait kind of in, almost in a way that like Chad Morris did. You don't have to take or, – or Kirby Smart. You don't have to take those jobs. I know those were coordinators, but it's it's a very similar situation. Now, at the same time, he doesn't want to – you know, we just talked about like guys like Mark Hudspeth waiting for him. You don't want to HUD it. So he does need to be a little careful there, but – Hudding it is going to be a verb for this show, okay? <laughs> don't HUD it. So, but I, I mean, so there is – yeah, I mean, he he shouldn't wait around forever, but uh, I mean, especially since I mean, he's definitely, you know, he's uh, Fleck has done perfectly well. I mean, uh, to what he was, they were terrible that first year, and then they were like what see sixty second and eight and five last year, fifty third and eight and five this year. Um, certainly on the right track there, but I mean, yeah, like you, yeah, it makes me nervous when they they wait too long. Uh, anyway, as far as Lovey goes, I mean. I don't know. I because I'm not picturing anything like uh, you know I, a national title or routine ten win seasons. Um, I don't see why he couldn't get them to five, six, seven, eight wins on a regular basis. And if you're if you're Illinois, like I mentioned that a couple like a week or two ago, like right after it first came down, and all and I realize this will change because all fans change, you know expectations change after a while. But every Illinois fan was like, yes, all I want right now is six and six. <laughs> so. If he can, like, if he can consistently get to five, six, seven, eight wins for a few years, mm-hmm. and even playing boring Lovey Smith football, um, and and basically if he can make them competent and get rid of the kind of crazy vibe that everybody kind of feels is is around the program, then that alone is a good hire. Even if he's more, you know, the example I always give with, with Missouri, even if he's more Larry Smith than Gary Pinkle in the, you know, in terms of you know, cleaning up a mess versus actually building a program up. Uh, he's still cleaning up a mess. And um, I, I think he could bring just a certain level of sanity to the process. I, I don't mind the hire at all. I, I don't expect amazing things, but I, I, I don't think Illinois fans do either. It's funny because the, the, the AD Josh Whitman is an alumnus, um, played for the played for the Illini, and made one of those hires. And, and the timetable in which he made it is almost more important than the hire that he made. It was like message board fanfic. Yeah. It's, it, it's like we we have a specialty and a curiosity on this program of looking at sort of perpetual tire fires and the Purdue's and Wakes and all that kind of stuff. And even when you talk about like an Iowa State or whatever, there's there the hardcore fan base on some far flung message board is always saying, I wish they'd just come in, make a big make the big splashy hire, you know. Um, in my neck of the woods, it was for years it was always that Brett Favre was going to retire and then coach his oh. nephew at Mississippi State. That was a big thing for years. This was during the Sly Crew era. 
Um, this is kind of that. This is that type of wish fulfillment. So it's, I'm starting to lean towards, if anything, it'll be interesting. What'll be even more interesting, Bill, is that if he gets Illinois to a point, like you're saying, of consistency, but no higher. Like you've, if, if, if you bring in Lovey, he's successful, he can recruit, and he proves Whitman to be correct in the higher and firing Qubit for no reason sort of deal. But the but the true ceiling of Illinois is seven to eight. Then what? Like, is Illinois happy being Minnesota? I don't know. I well, honestly don't know enough about that culture. Well, I think I mean it, it's kind of a two step thing. Before they can worry about it being any better than Minnesota, they've got to get back to where Minnesota currently is. Right. Um, and I mean, this since since they got rid of Zook, we got rid of Zook by the way for going six and six. Um, they're two and ten, four and eight, six and seven, five and seven. I mean, technically, that's kind of an upward path in a way, but um, but no, I mean they you know they won seventeen games in four years, so they have to before they can worry about anything else. I mean, I, this is a stability move, and I don't see why it couldn't work in that regard. And and may you know, but maybe this is the this is the hire that just gets you to a point where then you can start thinking maybe the next hire can get us to where we're winning eight, nine, ten games. There's nothing inherently wrong with with Illinois or Champaign or Banner or anything like that. I've had fun there. And you know, you're close to St. Louis and Chicago. Uh, but it's more just a, a good coaches don't want to go there right now thing. So if he can come in there and, and sh- prove at the very least that a semi-competent coach uh, can can get you to seven or eight wins, you know, a guy with a big ego, w- the next PJ Fleck would think, well, I mean, they're winning eight games and I can I know I can recruit better than that guy. So maybe I can win there. This does draw me into a conversation about larger, more productive and talented schools. And that's that I've always had to view the Big Ten through the lens of, of coming up in the SEC as both a reporter and a, and a, a viewer and a fan. Um, and the Southeastern Conference, even pre-expansion, whatever, you know, I, I always say that 92 is sort of the dawn of the modern era because television contracts, divisions, conference titles all kind of converged at once. So if you look at it from then on, the SEC has been defined by by have and have not being not equal, not six and six or seven and seven, but but almost really four to five programs always feeling at least four to five programs always feeling like they were the royalty. And then you had sort of the underclass that would fight and almost rotate that seven win spot. And then it's interesting because Wisconsin is the outlier or, or the oddity here. But there's this like there's this spot after Michigan and Ohio State because I can go back and remember John L. Smith, Michigan State, before the consistency of D'Antonio, where after those two programs, the identity or the hierarchy of the pecking order is just, it's pure chaos to me. Yeah. Penn State doesn't have a long enough history, at you know, when we're talking going in the 90s on, to have its place set in stone in the Big Ten. Um, and so you have these collection of other schools as the conference has grown to 14 you know you have two schools that are royalty and the whole focus and all of the all of the perception even from even from schools that aren't like even northwestern or iowa or purdue fans or whatever if ohio state or michigan are are, are way down or if there's a problem or a scandal or whatever all of the focus goes there to just those two programs and then you have these Weird. It's the middle class. This is something Jerry Donardo told me last year. I think I've said it before. They just don't know what their middle class is. 
You know, Michigan State has so far exceeded expectations and consistency and success that I don't even know if it's fair to call them middle class of the Big Ten. To me, right, at, the, at the moment, they're not. Yeah, right. But but does anyone feel like that's going to last? You know, there is no middle class. There is there are programs, Michigan State, Penn State and Wisconsin that have felt in recent years like like that middle class. But but yeah, I think Penn, I, mean, I think Penn State has um you know, done enough through the years and, and a big part of this too, their fan base is ridiculously big. Um, I think they've got a place there. I think Wisconsin's got a place there. I think Nebraska's got a place there. Uh, even if they're not currently there. Um, well, let's put it this way. Like, you know, I was talking about great hires earlier. One of the ways to try to to look at this first from a, a a good angle is, you know, what would a great hire get uh, them at a, like, where could you end up if you make a great hire next time? Um, I mean, Nebraska, I don't really know what I would consider a great hire. It's been a while since they made a great hire. Um, but Nebraska I don't... is statistically, culturally, recruiting, and financially the probably, to me, the most curious slash depressing case of, of the last realignment. But, and, and it's just, it will... Ne- I, I'm going to rubberneck Nebraska until something <laughs> changes. But, and this is as a Missouri fan who, who you know, came through school loathing Nebraska, a great hire can still make them a top 15 team every year. Um, I don't think Mike Riley is that. And, and again, no, like, kinda, I kind of feel like I'm starting to disagree there. Now, I, I know that you're right right now, but I don't, I don't know if time is in their favor. Possibly. But, I mean, I, I still think that that's – now, the thing is, you know, I can say great hires. You know, immediately we think of, like, big-name hires or something like that, and, and I don't know if they can make one of those right now. Uh, because, well, I mean, they just had a coaching opening, and they got Mike Riley, who was pretty close to getting fired at Oregon State. So, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see what he can do. But, I mean, clearly they're not – that kind of proved that they're not an elite program at the moment. But I still think, you know, a great hire can make them a top 15 program. A great hire – Wisconsin's almost been a, a top 15 program over the last five, ten years, and they've had to make a lot of hires because of whatever goes on at Wisconsin. Um, so, but I mean, as far as Illinois goes, I think a great hire right now could absolutely get them to where they're averaging about eight wins a year. Um, you know, maybe a six here and a couple nines there or whatever. I don't think Lovey is a great hire, but I think he, he's a solid hire. I think they could get to that point. But I think, you know, looking at it from this angle, like Penn State's absolutely middle class, uh, you know, second tier. What I don't like middle to upper middle class. Yeah. Um, uh, especially now that the sanctions are over. But, I mean, I think I'd put Penn State in there. I'd put, obviously, Michigan State in there at the moment. Um, and I, I think I would put Nebraska and Wisconsin there. I think Illinois would be the third tier in that regard, along with, um, I guess, maybe Maryland, Minnesota. Well, really, everybody else. Everybody else is, is in that tier where a great hire could still make them a, re- a strong program. But... It's kind of like, you know, when all these different Big Ten teams were suddenly going to the Rose Bowl in the 90s and early 2000s, you kind of, you still do absolutely need help from the heavyweights uh, slipping a little bit. The landscape to me is just, it's to be determined. I'll be really interested to see, like, what's the three-year trajectory for Durkin? How far is it possible to take someone like Maryland mm-hmm. in that division and then that conference? Yeah, and I that's... think maybe we just need five to ten years to kind of figure out the DNA and, and, and also having, I mean, not to be a dick, but having Rutgers in Maryland and then throwing Purdue in, like, you know, you, you know who your bottom class is, you know? Yeah, the West is, I mean, the East is um, tricky at the moment. 
What? That's, uh, news the, for the Illini. Yeah, you're not in the East. You're not in the East. You're in the West. I, if I had to be a head coach right now, there is something really enticing about the Big Ten West. Yeah. If you can figure out how to re- solve the recruiting problem, because none of those schools have like a great Wisconsin's always been successful in Florida. I think that's helped. But that's not the backbone, but maybe the uh, the right arm of of their 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 success post Alvarez with the rotation of coaches is that they have been able. They were bridging the recruiting gap long long before this Harbaugh, you know, IMG stuff. So. Other than that, though, you just have to you have to figure out your recruiting situation for every single school in the West. It's yep. very different. Um, okay, so I'm going to leave it at uh, TBD with Lovey. A little curious. Um, I don't really want to be resentful towards NFL media who think it's a slam dunk hire because we've seen time and again that NFL yeah. media just just have a cursory knowledge at best. Yeah. Um. Oh, Bill, I'm going to pick out a question. I'm going to throw this one at you. Um, uh, Jameson asks, um, MST conference sustainable? I'm not exactly sure what he means yet. 12 to 14. Oh, so I think he's, I think he's making a hypothetical mountain conference here. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Colorado State, Utah, Utah State, BYU, Boise, New Mexico, New Mexico State, Wyoming, Air Force, Idaho, Nevada, UNLV markets. Could they be internally competitive? What conference would that roughly equal strength-wise? Um, I don't think that the conference could be competitive because you've just laid out a conference that lacks uh, pretty much a major media market outside of Denver and Phoenix, and that's not going to sustain on a national level. You took the footprint of the United States that's the least populated, so right off the bat, from a financial standpoint, it's not going to survive. From a football edge, um, Bill, who's your, who's your conference winner there? <laughs> I'm trying to absorb this. First of all, I think this is kind of funny because I I interact with with our friend Jameson here a lot on Twitter. He's a UCLA guy. Um, okay. So framing this as a UCLA fan asking this question is kind of funny to me. Um, I don't know who wins that conference. I mean, uh, you know, one of the Arizonas. Yeah, one of the Arizonas. Utah and Boise State are obviously the ones who have been the most consistently good. BYU probably right there alongside, and then it's just okay. uh, you know, this year this team's good. Next year this other team's fine. When you're talking about Colorado State, Utah State, New Mexico, New Mexico State, Wyoming, Air Force, Idaho, Nevada, UNLV. Um, yeah, I mean. It, it, First of all, when, when, if he's asking about sustainability, it's what are we talking about here? Are we talking about it's like a power conference? Because no, um, yeah. but that'd be a hell of a Mountain West, obviously. If he's thinking yeah. about you know booting Arizona, Arizona State, and uh, Colorado and Utah. Well, in a world where like geography is the most logical approach, the, yeah, this this makes total sense. But it's not; it's money. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's probably one of the Arizonas, Utah, or Boise that wins. They're the power, and then. I think that ultimately it would fold pretty quick. Um, question uh, from Robert Baker. Could Wyoming beat Purdue? That's not funny. Uh, which natural rival do they look to as a measuring stick? Colorado State, Boise, Air Force, way ahead. Um, I can answer this. It's Colorado State first and foremost because they do try and draw out of the Denver market for undergraduates. Um, Colorado State and Fort Collins are both way ahead of Wyoming and Laramie. Uh, again, I say that as a Wyoming fan. Um, Boise, kind of hard to compare at this point. I think they're in a whole nother league. 
and then Air Force is a, is a slightly more unique situation. Um, those are all the sort of local programs for Wyoming, but it's it's Colorado State. It's a huge rivalry. They're uh, 160 miles from each other. Um, once you get to Cheyenne and head south on the interstate to Denver, Fort Collins is along the way. Um, they have a long way to go. Maybe not so much in like stadium and facilities against Colorado State, but I would just say, um, you know, Fort Collins is a, is a has a, a, a more lively atmosphere. I think Fort Collins and Colorado State have grown by virtue of of the Colorado school systems and the population. Um, they, if they don't want to be left behind, they need to start combating that in a unique way. Um, and how did Cowboy Joe Glenn? Oh, sorry, this is from uh, Michael McGood tweet. I like that name. <laughs> Oh, Mike McGood tweet. How did Cowboy Joe Glenn go from being the next Urban Meyer, I don't remember that, no. to the guy who gets fired after flipping the bird mid-game? Uh, I don't remember a point when Joe Glenn was the next Urban Meyer. I he, think that... He, he was Glenn immensely was. successful, though. Um, okay. I just pulled up his record. Um, he won a couple of D2 national titles in Northern Colorado. Uh, moved to Montana, won a couple, or made two title games and won one national title at Montana. Uh, and so in 02, he was coming off of a run of seven straight seasons of winning at least 11 games at those two schools. Goes to Wyoming, goes four and eight, seven and five, four and seven, six and six, five and seven, four and eight. So the idea, I mean, the easiest way to put it is what I say a million times hard jobs are always hard. And yeah. um, this was a really hard job. Harder than Montana because Montana is playing at a different level. So if Craig Bull strikes out, Bill, we're seeing a pattern emerge. Yeah. That success at the FCS level does not translate to resurrecting a low-level FBS program. And then they're going to have to start looking elsewhere. The right. even, with with like a, even with a similar recruiting, I mean, whatever you're going to call recruiting base for that area. Yeah, I mean, if you had the, a really good Montana coach strike out and then you had a really good North Dakota State uh, coach strike out, I mean, obviously being a good coach makes you more likely to succeed, but that certainly proves that it's not like coaching those schools in the, uh, in the northern part of the country. The problem with this is that what was, you remember who was sandwiched in, in the middle of those hires? Mr. Christensen. Mr. Christensen from, from, from Missouri. Um, and he was the kind of guy that is the alternate hire to that logic, and it didn't work either. Right, and he, I mean, it, it, he was funny because it looked, you know, he was Wyoming was never just like neutral luck when Christensen was there. They were either way lucky and, and you know they went seven and six one season, eight and five another, or way unlucky uh, when they won three and four games. Um, so really, luck can really skew reality. Like it, it felt like that program was was up and down and unstable when really he was putting out about the same product every single year and different things were happening. But, um, but yeah, no, he, he was certainly, he was the immensely successful offensive coordinator, which, I mean, again, they, they hired Joe Tiller and it worked great. They hired, um, you know, Akers and, and Erickson and all these guys. And really, maybe their most successful hire of the last 30, 40 years or whatever, besides Joe Tiller, um, was an old guy, Paul Roach. You know, he was there four years after Dennis Erickson won 10, 11, 5, and 9 games and then retired. Um, which I mean, Craig Bowles not young, so maybe that maybe he fits into that boat. Maybe it's maybe what we're discovering here is there's absolutely no uh, type for for a job like this. All right, I'm going to propose something here. This is going to help us push through March and April. Um, if you're listening to this, and it, it, as always, if you make it to this point in the podcast, you are amongst the hardcore. So 
I'm going to give everyone a homework assignment if you want to participate. We'll, we'll read the best ones out on air. We may even have you on the show. <laughs> if you've got a theory on how you want to rebuild one of these programs, and it doesn't have to, it can be Wyoming, it can be Hawaii, it can be Louisiana Monroe, it can be um, any one of these sort of, you know, destitute type back in bottom five deals that we, that, you know, Bill's previewing right now as we go through. I know we talked sort of extensively about San Jose State about a month ago. Um, give us your plan. Let's see if we can cobble together the best plan possible. Um, shoot it, just send them to our emails, Junior at SB Nation. Bill, what's your SB Nation account? Bill Connolly won. Oh, uh, SB Nation account is, is, eh, no, forget that account. Bill Connolly won at Gmail. Okay. Um, See, you know, I'm interested to see what you guys can come up with. Um, these are these are sort of riddles that can't be solved sometimes, um, but that doesn't stop us from doing it. Um, if you're a fan of one of these schools, I'd love to hear from you. And again, it can be we've kind of beat Purdue into the ground, so let's let's keep it maybe G5. So, like I said, bottom tier Mountain West, bottom tier Sun Belt, CUSA, um, Idaho, New Mexico State, like. Let's get real. Let's get real depressing. Um, we're not going to fixate on this kind of stuff forever. Obviously, we're going to move towards the bigger conferences as, as we progress in the offseason. But everybody likes to talk, be it in a hopeful way, in a condescending way. You know, when one of these schools is your big time programs, homecoming opponent, whatever, about why do these why does so and so exist? How can they make it? What can happen? Um, I've always been sort of hopeful and I've always been fascinated with these programs. Um I grew up cheering for an FCS powerhouse, so I just always kind of thought that like anything was possible, and and you know if you know what you're doing, you can build a you can build success over time. So let's fix Wyoming, let's fix Hawaii. Um, is there a harder homework assignment than that, Bill? San Jose State's <laughs> up there. Um, I, I mean, that's pretty tough. That's pretty. They're they're broke. I would um, say ULM, Wyoming, and Hawaii might be the hardest ones. Okay. Well, and, and of course EMU, but we haven't gotten there yet. Cool. Yeah. We okay. We haven't gotten to the MAC yet. Um, I think Eastern Michigan might might win out over all. Yeah. Um, how are we on time, Bill? Did we fulfill our obligation this week? Um, we are currently at over fifty minutes. We've got twenty minutes till our call, and that's good because I've got a couple of uh, emails I want to. Uh, read and then discard that I've been saving for a little while since we didn't really yesterday last, since last week's podcast was kind of a uh, hastily thrown together operation I have a couple of old emails let's do it uh, first one uh, subject line this is a fr- from our friend Andrew subject line disruptive offensive systems I think you got this one too Bill Godfrey your discussions about programs in the doldrums and here's that Purdue word again Purdue Army Iowa State etc man we talk a lot about sad programs apparently yeah um your discussion about programs and the assertion that all of these are just, quote-unquote, one good hire away from being relevant got me thinking. Are there any conferences poised for disruption by a new offensive system or a system the defenses aren't designed to stop in that league? For example, when Tiller brought a pass-heavy system to the, to the Big Ten and matched well against defenses designed to stop the run, what if the Big 12 team ran the option and put their recruiting emphasis on defensive talent to slow down the pass-heavy Big 12 offenses? I ask because I'm not sure if a truly disruptive hire is possible anymore. Uh, 
anyway, I look forward to your thoughts. Uh, it's always possible. Uh, yeah. that, that's just part of college football. You know, the, one system emerges, the wishbone emerges, and defenses get smaller and faster. So teams move to more of a powerful kind of pro-style approach. Uh, teams get bigger and slower. Defenses get bigger and slower, and then the spread goes crazy. So there's always that give and take, and it's, what, it's one of the really fun things about it. So there's, that's always possible. I do think the Big 12 is the best example. Um, it's not homogenous. Kansas State spreads defenses out, but not in a truly, you know, stereotypical spread way. Texas is, <laughs> Texas is doing whatever Texas is doing at the moment. Um, we'll see. But that is a conference where a lot of the offenses have begun to look the same, and that's kind of the perfect Stanford situation right there. Um, so be it a, a Stanford-style, you know, four tight ends offense or an option, I think it'd be great. I, I was really... I've been hoping for a while that someone like a, a Niamatololo would end up at Iowa State just to kind of test that theory. Um, I, and I like the thought of basically, you know, leaning on an option that maybe you don't need five stars on offense, but then figuring out how to recruit a high caliber set of defensive backs, for instance, um, and really kind of load up on DBs and, and, and try to craft the anti Big 12 system. Sure. I don't see why that approach wouldn't work. I liked, I mean, the, uh, Iowa State higher on Campbell, that was fine. Uh, it might be good because he's, you know, he's passed his tests so far. Um, but that would have been an interesting spot for an option and defense friendly kind of play, uh, coach. So you're talking about the guy who was rumored first for that job, which would be Willie Fritz. Yeah. Yeah, that'd that would be an interesting very one. interesting hire. I don't yeah. think you would see that level of disruption now that Fritz is at Tulane just because it's the AAC doesn't have a kind of like a set definition. They're um, getting there. They're kind of getting there, but yeah, they still have Temple and Navy and teams like that too. Right. Um, had Willie Fritz ended up at Iowa State, give him two years, and then it would be very interesting to see what um, a you know, a shotgun power option would do. And if you if you could get some emphasis on defense, um, I don't know exactly how you would recruit yeah. to Iowa State to shut down Baylor, but I think if you had a physical offense that was run based, a lot of the successful and I'm kind of it, it's you got to kind of skirt around the generalities and the stereotypes. Like Baylor has defensive talent, like yeah, TCU, obviously, yeah, right. But a lot of the Big Twelve relies on a lighter defensive player right. working in space. I think that's fair to say. Yep. Um, if you created a more physical spread run, I think you could see success with that. Like if you dropped, if you dropped a functioning Gus Malzahn Auburn into the Big Twelve, that would be fun. I'm trying to think if there's a, an even better example than I'm sure there there are, but yeah, I mean that's the, that's the kind of thought there. Um, yeah, and it's easy to say, well, we'll just, you know, focus on defense recruiting. Well, it, it never quite works that way. But no, I guess technically just... if you load up on, on really good defensive backs, um, you know, somebody falls to the third string, they can just move to, to slot back in your in your flex bone offense and, and try that. But um, Yeah, that's why I think if you – I agree with you, Bill, that it's it's definitely the the Big 12 that's probably ripe for some sort of impact because they, they have operated in extremes. Um, Texas has had such a tough time developing defensive talent. If you look at just by the numbers that I think the revolution or the next change in the cycle, whatever would have to come on offense. I think it would be possibly, it feels like college football in general is may move back towards a run based. Yeah. I figure that's kind of, um, 
You know, one of the things I'm really curious about, maybe we should look into this at some point, or maybe we have to wait until after another year of it. Quarterbacks got hurt like crazy last year. Um, it, it, like so many impact quarterbacks got hurt. And so I'm curious, you know, and, and wh- while I say that, you know, guys like Petrino are like really obsessed with running quarterbacks now. So I'm really kind of curious what happens over the next few years if, if you know, more guys go to mobile, quote-unquote, dual-threat quarterbacks and more quarterbacks get hurt in derailed seasons. Um, Petrino told me in 2012 that, or maybe it was, I think it may have been 13, that had he stayed in Atlanta, with had Vic not gone to prison, that he feels almost certain that he would have implemented zone read. Okay. If you think about the timeline on that, it would have changed the NFL dramatically. If he goes to zone read with Michael Vick in yeah. 2006. Yeah. Or seven, I'm sorry. So you're talking about one, two, three, what, five seasons before Kaepernick does it? So that dramatically changes the NFL. Yeah, I can see that. Um, my next question here is it's absolutely not a podcast question. I just wanted to read it out loud because I got so many of these last week. Okay. Um, it's from our friend Fred Astaire. That's his email name. I like it. All right. Um, the team's mentioned in your article ranking the 10 best college football programs of each decade. That was the first of the rankings pieces I put out, okay. uh, especially in the 1980s. And their performance is based on fictitious and biased, quote-unquote, average percentile ratings. <laughs> what the heck is average percentile rating and how is it calculated? Frankly, it's wrong. There were many good teams due to the political garbage that were overlooked during that era. One of them was BYU. BYU in the 80s had a record of 102 and 27, which is as good or better than most of the teams listed in the top 10 of that era. They won a national title during that time and just outside of the 80 area in 1990. They had a Heisman Trophy winner. We need to stop thinking that the sun rises and sets on the P5, that the football earth ends here, and at most they need to stop lying to themselves. Um, kind of changed the perspective in that last sentence, but um, this was just as a reminder that no matter how m- many hours I spend talking about non-power teams, ne- this goes for everybody, never ever assume anybody reading your stuff has ever read any of your stuff before. <sighs> I always That's why we have to bring up Purdue every week, because everyone's po- every podcast is someone's first podcast. That's right. And we want to make sure everybody knows we are the official podcast of, of uh, Purdue and of the Purdue American Football. Athletic Conference. That's right. Um, so a couple minutes left here. Is there anything you 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 mentioned Sloan earlier? Anything uh, anything you're particularly curious about about the? No, uh, I, think, I think so. Bill was in. Um, we were in DC last week for planning meetings for the 2016 season. Um, I, uh, Bill left, you went directly from DC to Boston, right? For Sloan. Yep. Um, Bill Barnwell was there from ESPN. Um, I think that may be it on folks that I'm friends with. Um, what is Sloan? Explain what Sloan is. Um, and is there anything that you learned or anything that, that the average, I always say average, that's a terrible thing to say. Is there anything that the, the, the cool, dudes and dudettes that listen this far along into our podcast need to know about in terms of how they view stats and football going like in the next year or two. So Sloan is the short version of saying the MIT Sloan sports analytics conference um, happens every February slash March in Boston. It happened a couple of weeks later this time. And my goodness was that amazing because it was the first time where I was in Boston when, when it wasn't freezing ass cold. 
Um, And what I learned, first of all, is that Boston's kind of a fun place to walk around when it's actually a temperature where you can walk around uh, and when there aren't nine foot snow drifts everywhere like there were last year. Um, I'm not (laughs) I'm not there at all. Um, So it is basically the sports stats trade conference. Um, I've been there the last five years. And, um, you know, I think the first time, especially if you've got kind of the analytics brain, you think, man, this is going to change my, this is going to change that we're going to change the world at this conference. You know, uh, you're not, it's a trade conference. Uh, and so what that means now that this is the 10th Sloan conference, it's immensely successful. There are almost 4,000 people there. Uh, it occupies the big Boston convention center every year. Um, it, it it is absolutely not going to change the world in part because it already kind of has to some degree like we i was we were joking on twitter when they released the agenda this year that it's basically like the the motto of the conference this year was we won there was like a, a panel called front office <laughs> front office analytics there's a there's stuff about ticketing there's stuff about uh you know the fan experience basically this this is like if i if i want to become a general manager of a team one day i need to learn about all of these things um that's kind of where it was at now, but there is also an undercurrent. The fun part is for me, um, well, number one, the socializing, there are people at this conference that I only see once a year. Uh, it, it assures that I get to hang out with Barnwell once a year, which is fun. Um, but lots of the 538 people and, and ESPN analytics people, and then just people nerds who, who with blogs who I've talked to a lot over the years, um, which is kind of fun. Um, but the, there is a trade show aspect of it, and that means companies showing off their products. Um, Anything good? Well, well, there, I mean, there's always stuff like you know, sport tracking, player tracking is going to be big moving forward. The wearables and, and whatnot. Um, I think that's going to be an area where we see a lot of development in coming years. Oh, so you saw the same crap I did in San Antonio. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, um, but then I also saw one of the things I'm most curious about for my own personal work is. Opta, um, which is the company that does a lot of the player tracking stuff for soccer. Um, they, in soccer, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, X, Y coordinate kind of stuff on the field. I don't think they quite know what they're going to do in this regard yet, but they announced on Friday that they are officially moving into football. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to, I, I told them, I have opinions and we need to talk. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to. We're going to talk a little bit. Said the guy from the internet. That's right. I I I am from the internet and I have opinions. Um, but so so yeah. I mean, basically, then uh, you know, at this point, that that's football. People are figuring out that there's a lot of unexplored areas still with football, which is crazy, but absolutely true. That's exciting, um, honestly. Yeah, and so I'm really curious. Like, I, we have a good relationship with Opta, honestly. Like, I, I know that some of our soccer guys have been using their stuff, and, and you know, Michael Cayley, um, who does work for the Tottenham blog and, like, 38 other sites as freelancer now, um, he's he's done a lot of fun things with, like, expected goals and whatnot in soccer. But my goodness, if I can get player tracker data on wide receivers, like, 16, this pass was thrown 16 yards downfield towards the sideline. Like, that one piece... Uh, to where I could start, you know, looking into like heat maps of how an offense attacks a defense and all these little things. Like I, I need like two pieces of information. I don't need to create ratings based on player tracking data or anything like that. But the thing that excites me is it seems like we might actually be close to getting that kind of tracker data where I personally could have a lot of fun. And, you know, that's, well, we, that's, I mean, I just think from a simple standpoint, it would be interesting to see how often teams run to the boundary, the near yeah. side, how, you know, how much, how much work is done on the flat. I think those are, those are pretty simple things that if you were if someone was able to track that, 
or someone is tracking that and we're able to access it quickly, that that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, either, like, I already have it kind of in my head how I'm going to design it if I can get that piece of data, but basically look at, you know, if it's a run play, look at where they tried to attack the line of scrimmage, um, you know, right, left, center, wide, whatever, um, and then look at, you know, where they were throwing the ball most consistently, and you're going to create little heat maps that, that pretty, I think, pretty clearly tell you this offense thought it could attack this defense here, here, and here. Um, and, you know, then you can kind of start connecting the dots on what players are there and, and, you know, things of that nature. I think that would work really well. And um, that's pretty simple. And other sports have been doing that kind of thing forever, but I haven't had that data yet. So um, from a personal standpoint, I was encouraged by that. Otherwise, yeah, it was about socializing. Oh, and Corn Ferry actually sponsored a, a panel called Leadership and Lineage, if you want to know about the actual panels at, at the Sloan Conference. That tells you pretty much everything. So your job is to go to these things and then try and explain the relevance to us. It's, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I should have had you distill it rather than, than go into the minutiae. It's, it's, it is funny how people react to it because it's sort of the same reaction of like taking a math class as an elective for most individuals. But then the trickle-down theory over time is that maybe this is the year – I don't go to a lot of tailgates, but if I, if I go to a tailgate that we stop hearing about like – any one of the things that has driven us nuts for three or four years. Yeah, that'll never change. Um, total offense. Yeah, total offense. Um, you know, stats, maybe, stats maybe, can't measure maybe hard. Maybe this is the year where the person who's read your books for the past five, six years, the person who has been on SB Nation looking at advanced stats or, or football outsiders or whatever, finally infiltrates tailgate by tailgate and says, hey, let's look at let's talk about yards per play. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm really optimistic about that. It is funny though. There is a kind of a, you know, once you've been a few years, you start to, whether, whether you acknowledge it or not, it's, it's kind of fun to, to see how long it takes for either a former player who's there or a coach who's there to say the word stats can't measure heart. Um, because it's going to happen very quickly. I think, I can't remember for sure. I know Brian Scalabrini, uh, the former NBA player was there. I know he said it. Um, and it, in in many many cases, stats can absolutely measure heart. <laughs> it just it shows up on the stat line if you're looking at the right in the right places. And and um, you know if you don't know where to look, then I guess that makes sense. But uh, yeah, no, it's a little it's a little uh, you know on, on the bingo card, the Sloan bingo card. Some uh, stats don't measure heart is definitely on the list. So anyway, We're, we are up against our conference call. We are, so we should probably go. Although we stretched this to an hour ten. Uh, so everybody complaining. I hope you're happy now. That's right. Everybody who was complaining, which is still very funny. Um, no more complaints. We, we, we gave it our all this week about Wyoming and um, message board fan fiction and Sloan nerds. All right. We're gonna, I'm going to make a vested effort to well, – well, the Arizona story comes out this week, so we'll, we'll jump into that on the podcast next week. So there's one, there's one Power 5 team. We, gotta, <laughs> we may, we may want to pull the, the nose up on the ship a little bit. So let's uh, – I'll try and dig up something on Power 5 for next week. Don't, or don't, not. don't just, try too hard. Let, let, let's just keep digging. Yeah, you know, it's we we again, we made no bones about this. We didn't we didn't pretend that we were going to Y'all sass me on Twitter again. We'll come back for the next 3 weeks and break down the MEAC. Oh yeah. Sure, right just just give me a reason to. All right, seriously, uh thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. All right.